Sky TV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and welcome to NITV Radio for this Wednesday, the 30th of August. Coming up on the show today, we share a story about First Nations campaigner Michael Long, who has set off on a trek from Melbourne to Canberra to raise support for the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Also coming up on today's show, a story produced by SBS News. Much of the eastern and central Australia faces an increased risk of bushfires this spring as the country dries out after years of wet conditions. And I catch up with actor and director Shari Sebens, who chats to me about her latest project, theatre production Black Showgirls, written by Nakia Louie, which she is directing alongside Ursula Jovic. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese announces the date for the Indigenous Voice referendum. Former Prime Minister John Howard speaks out against the Indigenous Voice part to Parliament. And former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull shows support for the yes vote. The Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum will be held on the 14th of October. The announcement comes as polling suggests a shift in support for the voice in South Australia toward the yes vote and Tasmania leading towards a no vote. Previous polls had put no ahead in South Australia, considered a crucial swing state. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has encouraged voters to consider all the facts before making a decision. On that day, every Australian will have a once-in-a-generation chance to bring our country together and to change it for the better. To vote for recognition, listening and better results. And I ask all Australians to vote yes. Former Prime Minister John Howard has spoken out against the Indigenous voice to Parliament. Mr Howard told Sky News an Indigenous advisory body would have what he calls a coercive effect over the government of the day, despite the federal government's assurances to the contrary. The truth is that any pronouncement of this body will have a coercive effect on the government of the day. And if this body proposes something that the government doesn't like, Every man and his dog to use an Australianism will be yelling at the government to do what they're told because this, after all, is the body which represents Indigenous people. And you've gone through all this trouble to insert it in the Constitution and now you're going to ignore their advice. How can you possibly do that? 
You can find comprehensive information about the referendum visiting the SBS Voice Referendum portal at www.sbs.com.au. Former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull has joined Minister for the Environment Tanya Plibersek, handing out flyers in the Sydney electorate to campaign in support of the yes vote. While Mr Turnbull did not support the voice proposal when it was first presented in 2017, but says a lot has changed since then and he is now supportive. He says the referendum offers an important opportunity for Australia to listen to Indigenous Australians on the issues that affect them. The Indigenous community have backed this issue in for six years and they have argued, they've said this is what we want for recognition in our constitution. And if we're talking about recognising Indigenous Australians in our constitution, we should be listening to the people who are to be recognised. The Yes campaign for an Indigenous voice to Parliament views the crucial state of South Australia as winnable in the upcoming referendum. South Australians and Tasmanians are swing states for the Yes campaign to achieve a four-state majority in the referendum, leaving West Australians and Queenslanders tipped to vote no. Inner City Adelaide is seen as the heart of the South Australian campaign, with the state's regions expected to return a high no vote, but balancing out with progressive metropolitan suburbs. Yes 23 says support on the ground is growing, with droves of volunteers who have never joined political campaigns signing up to door knock. Spokeswoman Rachel Perkins says campaigners are standing on the shoulders of great people in the state, calling it the birthplace of the original referendum in 1967. The heads of an inquiry examining child sexual abuse in Tasmanian government institutions will deliver a closing address today before submitting their final report. The inquiry, which held public hearings last year, heard accounts of abuse and government failings in the justice, education, health and out-of-home care systems. The report will be submitted to the Governor tomorrow and will be made public by late September. The inquiry was called in 2020 after allegations against Ashley Youth Detention Centre workers and Launceston General Hospital nurse James Jeffrey Griffin were aired. Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews has addressed the Royal Commission into Defence and Veteran Suicide at a hearing. Mr Andrews discussed the rollout of the state's new Veterans Card and other programs designed to support former Defence Force members. Under the scheme, veterans are entitled to discount car registration, free fishing and boating licences and free public transport on Anzac Day and Remembrance Day. The Royal Commission was established in 2021 to examine how the system is failing Australian Defence Force members and veterans. Mr Andrews says the new programs and measures acknowledge the continually changing landscape of veteran affairs. It's a dynamic uh, environment. Things change, priorities change. Uh, The veteran landscape has changed dramatically, uh, particularly when we think about contemporary conflicts in uh, recent times. If you or someone you know needs support, you can call the Defence Family Helpline on 1800 624 608 or visit www.openarms.gov.au. A new report finds nearly half of working migrant and refugee women say they have been sexually harassed by their bosses, customers or clients. The 76-page report was released by Australia's National Research Organisation for Women's Safety and surveyed more than 700 migrant and refugee women across Australia.
It found 46% of respondents experienced at least one form of sexual harassment in the workplace by men in the past five years. The most common types of harassment found include inappropriate phone calls and messages of a sexual nature, intrusive questions about their private lives, sexual suggestive jokes or staring in a way that was intimidating. The former Commonwealth Freedom of Information Commissioner has criticised the government agency and its head months after announcing his shock resignation. Leo Hardiman announced his departure in March, less than one year into his five-year term, citing his lack of power and chronic delays in the FOI system. The legal expert told a parliamentary inquiry that quitting was the most difficult decision of his career, but he could not in good conscience maintain the status quo. He says the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner did not sufficiently engage with freedom of information issues, with staff often diverted away from core functions for other purposes. Australia's peak railway body has kicked off a campaign to recruit young workers in a bid to address a skills shortage in the industry. The Australasian Railway Association's Work in Rail campaign is designed to attract school graduates after research showed workers under the age of 25 represented just 4% of the industry's workforce. Australasian Railway Association Chief Executive Caroline Wilkie says the industry desperately needs to attract and train workers if it is to complete state and national projects successfully. An appeals court in Pakistan has suspended the corruption conviction and three-year prison sentence of former Prime Minister Imran Khan. Mr Khan is still expected to face a retrial, but the ruling will allow him to contest the next parliamentary elections. The former Prime Minister has also been granted bail, but his release has yet to be confirmed, as he faces a number of other charges since his removal from office in April 2022. Khan's lawyer Malik Gohar Ali says he's confident of Mr Khan's release. We are very hopeful he would be released. So far he has not been arrested in any other case. We have not been informed that he is under arrest in any other case. If that is the case, he should be out very soon. We are all waiting for there is a procedural formality. Mr Khan was convicted and sentenced earlier this month for concealing assets after selling state gifts he received while in office. As a result, the Election Commission of Pakistan disqualified Khan from running for public office for five years. Legislation to bring Victoria's triple zero call service under government control will be introduced to state parliament today. The Emergency Services Telecommunications Authority will be rebranded as triple zero Victoria by the end of the year under the proposal. It follows recommendations from former Police Chief Commissioner Graham Ashton, who found the agency was systematically underperforming. Victorian Premier Dan Andrews has rejected claims that his government requested a confidentiality clause on the $380 million settlement to cancel the 2026 Commonwealth Games. A federal inquiry into the cancellation of the Commonwealth Games is currently hearing evidence from a number of politicians and community leaders. Today, Premier Andrews was asked about evidence provided by Commonwealth Games Australia leaders to the inquiry who said they did not request a confidentiality agreement. Mr Andrews says the Victorian government didn't request one either and claims the inability to disclose final details of the negotiation process is standard procedure. If you ask me what was all the nature of the back and forth across the negotiating table, I'm not able to talk about that. That's all I'm not able to talk about. 
That is the start and finish of that provision, which is a standard form provision for a commercial negotiation and settlement. Nothing more, nothing less. The dollar value and all the other details are in the joint statement, which was provided very soon after, literally hours after the deal was inked uh, a couple of couple of weeks ago. Almost half of Australia's best athletes are earning below the poverty line threshold with an annual income of less than $23,000. The Australian Sports Foundation's findings indicate that without bolstered financial support, the country risks an exodus of elite athletes ahead of major international events. A survey by the foundation found two in three elite Australian athletes aged between 18 and 34 have considered quitting their sport. One in two athletes aiming to compete in the 2026 Commonwealth Games have weighed up leaving their sport, as have 43% of those working towards the 2032 Olympic Games in Brisbane. The biggest challenges were costs and financial insecurity, with elite athletes spending more each year on travel and accommodation for competitions than they did on food. And now for a look at today's weather. Perth, sunny 24, Adelaide, a shower or two 16, Melbourne, showers 15, Hobart, a shower or two 15, Aubrey-Wodonga, showers 17, Canberra, much the same 18, Wollongong, showers and a possible storm 22, Sydney, much the same 24, Newcastle, much the same 26, Brisbane, a shower or two and a possible storm 25, Townsville, mostly sunny 27, Cairns, mostly sunny 28, Alice Springs, sunny 28, Darwin, also sunny 35, and the Torres Strait Islands, mostly sunny 30. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, a conversation with the amazing Shari Sevens, co-director of Black Showgirls, which makes its premiere this Friday at Griffin Theatre Company. And Australians are being urged to prepare for what may be the most significant bushfire season since the deadly 2019-2020 Black Summer fires. But first, First Nations campaigner Michael Long has set off on a trek from Melbourne to Canberra to raise support for the Indigenous voice to Parliament. The 800-kilometre journey reprises the AFL legend's pioneering 2004 long walk to the nation's capital, which aimed to improve outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Angelica Waite reports. AFL legend and Indigenous community activist Michael Long has taken the first steps in a long walk from Melbourne to Canberra to raise support for the Indigenous voice to Parliament. Starting his trek from Melbourne Town Hall, he says he hopes to also raise more awareness about the upcoming referendum on the Indigenous voice. People can join us, you know, obviously from the start, uh, the different country areas which we'll be going through, uh, schools. It's about bringing people with you about bringing people along with you and being a part of that conversation. We want to engage as many people as we possibly can. 
It has been 19 years since the former Essendon Stars' first long walk to present then Prime Minister John Howard with a list of what was needed to close the gap in Aboriginal disadvantage. After decades of campaigning, Mr Long says the referendum offers Australia an opportunity to move forward in a substantial and meaningful way. It's time for closing the gap together. It's time Australia to move forward together as all Australians. It's time Australia to unite this country, not to divide. It's time Australia for change for all. Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews says there is both a sadness and an optimism in the continued need for change. The fact that Uncle Michael and many others have to walk again to Canberra, nearly 20 years on from that first groundbreaking effort uh, to be heard, to be recognised, to speak their truth, to tell their story, is in many respects sad. But at the same time, we have in just a few months' time, we think the date will be set soon.、Uh, we have an opportunity as a nation to do so much more and so much better. Michael Long aims to complete his journey from Melbourne to Canberra by September the 14th, and wants as many Australians as possible to join him on the way. He and other walkers are seeking to reverse the downward yes vote trend in the polls and raise support and awareness of the voice. Liberal frontbencher Jane Hume, who backs the No campaign, says it is important voters understand what is being presented to them. Can I tell you, there are lots of people like me in my party whose heart said we could get here, but unfortunately, the question that's been put before us, you know, my head and my gut says we cannot support this. If we can't understand it, if you don't know how it's going to work, how can you support it? For others, like Labor MP Bill Shorten, the Indigenous voice offers a straightforward new way to enable positive change. A yes vote is a simple recognition that, having tried everything else, and it hasn't been successful, this referendum is a genuine, generous new idea to simply get it right. The WA Nationals say it has now decided to withdraw support for the voice. The party's leader is Shane Love. There was a respectful. Decision, but certainly not unanimous view. A question was whether or not Labor's referendum proposal and the trust in Labor to be able to deliver、uh, any meaningful change through it. It's this meaningful change that Mr. Long is yearning for as he embarks on his journey. He says it's time for politicians to set aside their differences and work together for a better and stronger future. This is an invitation, which is presented on behalf. Of the Indigenous people across Australia to the government, it's time Australia, for Aboriginal people, to be acknowledged in the Australian Constitution. This is a referendum, not an election. The date for the referendum will be announced on Wednesday and is expected to be on the 14th of October. Angelica Waite, SBS News. A new legal service has been launched in New South Wales to assist Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families who are involved in family law disputes or the care and protection system. It's key aim to keep First Nations families together. Ricky Kirby reports for NITV News. Miemba Ngamilaray woman Sue Phillips visits Moree every six to eight weeks, where she does outreach work. 
It's just one of the regional towns across the state she travels to from Sydney to help mob with their family legal issues. There are a lot of communities that don't have access to legal services. You know, for whatever reason that is because of the location or the services that are non-existent in those communities. For us to be able to bring that, our service out here to provide that for those communities extremely important. The Family Law Service for Aboriginal Communities by Legal Aid New South Wales currently services nearly a dozen regional centres, providing culturally safe legal support in family law disputes or the care and protection system. Our model is a holistic model. Um, For us, it's not about just giving advice and saying this is all we can do. It's about saying we'll come with you on this journey and we'll, um, we'll be able to represent you and we'll go from sort of start right through to the finish. The latest Family Matters report found Indigenous children in New South Wales are ten times more likely to be placed in care than those who are non-Indigenous. What we'd sort of hope to see um, year on year is that that rate would reduce, but unfortunately it's not. What we know as Aboriginal people is that our culture is a strength and when kids are taken from their culture, what we see is this kind of drift into... Um, into the juvenile justice system and and then we see those kids end up in adult jails um, where we're then talking about incarceration rates. We're really hoping to help people navigate the family law system and and transition out of the care and and protection system into the family law space Um, and since delivering the service we've found that that's starting to happen, that families are coming to us and would rather go to the family law courts instead of through the care and protection system. For Sue, like for many mob, the issue is all too familiar. The care and protection system um, affected my family um, and diminished our family's knowledge of their country, of their family. So it inspire, that inspires me to make sure that that stuff doesn't happen to any fellas anymore, that... that we can make sure that, you know, our children are with their mob. Well, I see for us the bedrock being keeping kids with family and connected to kin and culture, and I think that's where we'll see real systemic and generational change. Ricky Kirby, NITV News. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. at sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV radio. Still to come on the program, I catch up with Shari Sebens, co-director of Black Showgirls, which makes it premiere, which makes its premiere this Friday at Griffin Theatre Company. But first, Australians are being urged to prepare for what may be the most significant bushfire season since the deadly 2019-2020 Black Summer fires. Large areas of the country are at an increased risk due to reduced rainfall, above average temperatures and changing weather patterns. As Angelica Waite reports, authorities have issued a message to Australians to get prepared now. The Earth's hottest year on record, 2023 has brought with it fires of historic proportions. With unprecedented wildfires currently raging in Europe, Hawaii and parts of Canada also ablaze, the devastating impacts continue. 
Australia's fire chiefs are now ringing the alarm with the bushfire outlook for spring, warning of dangerous months ahead. The outlook is provided by the National Council of Australasian Fire and Emergency Service authorities. CEO Rob Webb says we need to respond wisely to the serious and immediate effects of a changing climate. There's no doubt that the changing climate is seeing much warmer conditions and often the fire, the fire threat was one of the first to see that through much more fire activity in Australia, longer fire seasons. So the evidence is there. So it's a matter of how we stand up. And one of the things that Australian fire agencies across the country do, they want to work together. The report identifies a number of conditions contributing to increased risk. High fuel loads from heavy rains and flooding in recent years coincide with an expected switch from La Nina to the drier and hotter El Nino weather cycle. Dr Naomi Benger from the Bureau of Meteorology says with this combination of factors, people should be on high alert during the coming spring months. So during spring we can have weather systems that rapidly dry vegetation, so dropping soil moisture in a very short space of time. Um, It can catch people unawares. Uh, So um, in summer, people generally expect fire activity, but it can escalate quickly through spring. Almost the entire country can expect drier and warmer conditions this spring, with an increased risk of bushfires in large parts of Australia. Residents in five states and territories are being put on high alert, with the seasonal outlook predicting an increased risk of bushfires in large areas of the Northern Territory, Queensland and New South Wales, as well as regions in Victoria and South Australia. Commissioner of Queensland Fire and Emergency Services Greg Leach says with this new information, people now need to take the time to plan ahead. As you've heard from other commissioners and chief officers, now's the time to prepare your bushfire plan. If you haven't had that conversation with your family, with your friends, with your loved ones, now's the time to prepare yourself to make sure your family, your loved ones are safe coming into bushfire season. The report's authors stress they are not predicting when and where fires will happen, but are pointing out the high-risk areas in the coming season so lives can be saved. 33 people died in the Black Summer fires, and while this year's fires are not expected to be as bad, authorities like Mr Webb say there's no time for complacency. We see this as a really important part of letting our communities know how they can best prepare I'm sure all of those, all the people behind me will say um, that the key thing at the moment is to have a plan and prepare. Do it now before the, the, the wind starts to pick up, before the temperatures start to rise. This advice comes as the forecast predicts above average temperatures in the coming season, meaning fires will start earlier. Angelica Waite, SBS News. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. You're with NITV Radio. Recently, I caught up with actor and director Shari Sebens to chat about her latest project, Black Showgirls, which she is co-directing alongside Ursula Jovic. Black Showgirls is written by Nakia Louie and is a takeoff of the So Bad It's Good cinematic masterpiece Showgirls and premieres this Friday at the Griffin Theatre Company. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Shari Sebens, co-director of Black Showgirls. Shari, welcome to NITV Radio. I'm so excited to finally have you on for a yarn. 
Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, congratulations on Black Showgirls. You are the co-director alongside the very talented Ursula Jovic and written by the amazing Nakia Louie. Can you tell us more about this exciting production and what it's about? Yes, so uh, Black Showgirls is, um, I guess, firstly, where it was um, Nakia Louie had been asked repeatedly by theatre makers, you know, when she was going to adapt a classic. And every, obviously, when everybody says classic, they're like the Chekhovs or the Shakespeare's or the Tennessee Willie. Like, when are you going to adapt something? Mm. And Nakia went, hmm, what's a classic to me? Showgirls, 1993, so bad, it's good film that tanked and then became a cult um, favourite. Um, so it's a loose adaptation of Showgirl, but it very much speaks more um, and the way that all of Nikita's work does so incredibly. There's so many jokes, so much humour in it, but underneath are big themes and big ideas like the exploitation of black culture, the commodification of black bodies, um, the idea of white privilege and meritocracy, uh, all that sort of, so, you know, really big things that are huge themes um, always in our communities, um, just just with lots more sequins and jokes around it. <laughs> it sounds amazing. And can you tell us about the cast and who's starring in it? Because I know you've got some amazing talent in the cast. Oh, my gosh, we have some of the best people. Like, I'm so excited about this cast. <laughs> so um, leading our charge, I guess, is uh, Jonathan Jeffrey. As Love Shandon him. Connors, yes, the Black Prince, um, as is playing Shandon Connors. So it's modelled on the role of Crystal Connor. Um, she's the sort of the head of Black Showgirls, the, the lead of Black Showgirls, with big dreams and big plans to take over and become um, the CEO of Black Showgirls. So that it's not only a place, a, a, um, a company that is creating, you know, that has Black people on stage, but there's Black ownership behind the scenes as well. Mm-hmm. That's her big kind of goal. Um, and then we have Steph Somerville, who is uh, playing Ginny, um, Ginny Jones. And she is the, the, the little, um, little fair-skinned Aboriginal girl that eventually finds out that she's not Aboriginal. Um, so there's a bit of a, probably a bit of a spoiler. <laughs> but um, um, forget about that. No. <laughs> um, her ma- mainly her dream is to be a black showgirl and she will do whatever it takes to get that, to make that dream come true at whatever cost possible. Um, and then we have Angeline Penrith playing Molly, who is perhaps one of the maddest characters I've ever seen on stage. Um, an Aboriginal woman who is speaking in a terrible Irish accent the entire play because she's decided to be white. Um, <laughs> and she has decided, uh, she found out that she had a great-great-grandfather who was Irish, so she thought, I'm going to embrace my heritage and take advantage of white privilege and be white. Um, but of course, the world doesn't see past her colour mm-hmm. and only ever treat, you know, the, the, the Irish little white community in Australia doesn't, doesn't accept her whiteness. Um, so she's in the middle of an identity crisis as well. Then we have True Love Interest, who was played by Matthew Cooper. Uh, and he was last uh, in Hubris and Humiliation, City of Gold, uh, Sydney Theatre Company, another deadly actor. Um, and then we have Maddie Mills joining us as Kyle McLaughlin, not the real Kyle McLaughlin. Um, <laughs> for some legal reasons, we have to say that. No. Um, and he's playing the current... Um, for uh, uh, what, uh, he's the boss of the boss of Black Showgirls, the CEO. 
Wow, so, sounds like you've got <clears throat> some amazing talent. And Maddie Mills, he's NITV family, yeah. um, works on NITV News. So that's really awesome to have him part of the cast as well. So it sounds amazing. And just talking about the characters and everything, so cool. And you've also been working alongside the talented Sani Townsend, who's choreographing the production. Can you tell us a little bit more about that side of it as well? Um, it has just been a dream of mine to work with Sunny Ray, uh, Sunny Townsend, and it's finally come true. Um, Sunny is delivering really like um, mad sort of, uh, I guess it's like borderline, it, it sort of feels a bit borderline cultural appropriation, even though it's black people creating this <laughs> black dance move, um, because the idea of black struggle is, is that it's become such an exploitative place. Hmm. And the, you know, Shandon Connors, Johnny Jeffrey's character is, is grasping and working to try and take back the, the reclaim the black narrative within, within the organization. Um, so Sonny's choreography is dynamic and thrilling and like daggy at some stages, deliberately, <laughs> um, and sexy and funny. And it's just been such a joy to have someone in the room who can speak to, you know, we have such a varying degree of like, we have dancers in the cast and then we have non-dancers who are dancing, which is something that I just love. Like, you know, getting to see bodies that don't usually dedicate themselves to hours of dance a week, um, getting up and having a go and moving and mm. being confident in themselves. Like black people just getting to be confident and feel deadly. Uh, that's what Sunny's been bringing to the room. And I guess, how are you feeling in the lead up to the premiere on Friday in Sydney? What's the prep been like in the lead up? It has been, uh, it's kind of fast and furious trying to make a show that has musical elements, a choreography element, at the same time as having really, you know, there's a lot of um, comedy is really hard in that it's, it's very technical mm. and you have to be so specific about every single line and every single moment of a joke and the way it plays out. Otherwise, it'll actually fall flat and people won't laugh and then you have actors feeling really insecure. Um, so it's been... A huge juggling act, getting uh, dance elements, comedy, and whilst keeping, making sure that the actual story and the themes that Nakia wants to talk about are still really present mm. and actually treated with the weight and, and you know, gravity that they should be treated with in the world. And over the years, you've starred on screen and theatre productions, been resident director of the Sydney Theatre Company, making your directorial debut uh, with Sydney Theatre Company's The Seven Stages of Grieving, along with other productions. What's it like for you in the director's seat as opposed to acting in a production? Um, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was something that I was really, really scared of originally. I never ever thought ever in a million years that I would be a director mm. because I thought it was for people that had big vision and big, you know, they could see the big picture and were constantly aware of things in a way where actors were just really kind of, you know, my job was to always rock up and play my my objective in the play and my story through and play that clearly. But I never had to worry about light sound, timing, all this sort of stuff, you know, production design, things like that. So it was something I was really scared of. Um, but I actually, what I love doing is working with black actors, um, people that I feel like, you know, I have a common language with already and on shows and plays that I think are really important for our mob to see and for, you know, non-mob to see as well. Yeah, so it's, um, I really, really, really love creating a room and my goal is always to create a room where black actors feel safe and empowered and free and uh, and find the joy in work because so often our work 
is quite heavy. The, the plays, the stories that we tell are quite heavy. So, you know, if we're not bringing joy into the rehearsal room and making it a safe and empowered place for people, then I don't, then I think we're failing at our job. Um, yeah. And you've been in the industry for a long time now. What changes have you seen in terms of our people being represented on screen and stage? Recently, we've seen quite a few of our mob in shows like Home and Away, Ursula Jovic and Rodaway Hick featured recently alongside Kyle Schilling, who has a reoccurring role. What, um, what does this mean for our industry and diversity on screen and also on stage as well? Um, I think it's just like so belated but so normal to just put black fellas in in the middle of every in the middle of every um, you know like what are our most popular cultural kind of um uh what are our iconic pop culture shows and things like that in australia and of course it's like Duh, why haven't we had black fellas in home exactly now? like why has it taken so long because every community in australia has black people in it mm. <laughs> and like um, it makes no sense to me that they could be living that close to a river <laughs> and not have black people there. <laughs> I know. Um, I know, it took too long. Um, but I think it, it's just normalising black presence in Australia, which should be the way because, mm. it, you know, we are the core and the heart, the black heartbeat of this country. Um, so I think it, it's all that's all wonderful. But what I've loved seeing change in is, you know, more new black works being written for stage, more new black works being written for screen, more black creatives on the on the, the other side of the camera and the other side of the stage. So I grew up, you know, my first, <clears throat> it was a long time before I was directed by an Aboriginal director. And I'm really excited now about seeing more Aboriginal directors in theatre. Uh, you know, screen, I actually came, I was very, very fortunate in that I came into the industry at a time when the, the, uh, the control of the narrative was being, and well, you know, taken back by black fellows. So I had worked with mostly black fellows on screen as directors and writers and producers. Um, and but that's starting to happen more and more in theatre now, which is that's what really excites me as well. Yeah, it's great to see. And finally, can you tell us uh, where people can see Black Showgirls opening this Friday? This Friday at Griffin Theatre Company at the Stables Theatre in Darlinghurst, Kings Cross. Um, Please jump online, get a ticket, come and see us. It's mad if you want to laugh, if you want to, um, there's, you know, it's very funny, but there's also some really powerful moments that will hit you, um, hit you where you live and hopefully make an impact on the audience. Amazing. Well, Shari, thank you so much for joining me on NITV Radio. I know you're super busy. You've got the show coming up on Friday, but it's been so nice to have a yarn with you and all the best for Friday. And thank I can't you. wait to see it. It sounds amazing. Yay. Thank you very much. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. Your community, your conversation. NITV radio. And that's all we have time for on today's program. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of our stories on our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back on Friday, 1 till 2 p.m., with more stories from right across the country. Today, we leave you with a track by King Stingray. I'm your host, Luana Grant Mandungor. Have a great day.
Yeah.